0: Welcome to Sabbath School brought to you by It Is Written. We're delighted to have you joining us once again today as we continue our journey through this quarter's lesson, looking at being in the crucible with Christ. We are on week number 10 about having meekness in the crucible. And with me today is once again the author of the Sabbath School lesson, Gavin Anthony. Gavin, welcome back. Thank you. Now this week's lesson begins with a quote from Matthew chapter 5, and this is a familiar quote to pretty much every Christian. It's a fairly simple, straightforward quote. Uh, One would expect easy to understand, but perhaps not so much. Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 5, which says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Of course, Jesus spoke those words. Meekness is important, but what is it and why is it important for us today?
1: Well, I have to admit, out of all of the uh, the lessons over this quarter, this subject is my favourite. Uh, not because I like it, but because I think there's something in this word, a- an idea that we have yet to wrap our heads around. Um, I remember looking this the uh, definition up in a dictionary. Uh, Merriam-Webster's dictionary, collegiate dictionary, says that meekness is, quote, Enduring injury with patience and without resentment. Well, who wants to do that? I mean, enduring injury with patience and without resentment. Now, that is a difficult thing. This is not just being humble. There is a particular skill, quality, that God is looking out for here. And... uh, and unfortunately, if God wants to mature meekness in our lives, then we can't just do that sitting on the couch at home um, and you know, twiddling our thumbs. We're going to find ourselves in crucibles where we are being injured, where we're becoming very agitated and not patient at all, and we are becoming very resentful for the perhaps unjust. Actions that have been done towards us, and so this call that we have here in the Beatitudes uh, comes at us. And this is this is a very a punchy subject because it's really confrontational to us. Um, I remember the process or the beginning of the process where God began to try to help me to understand this this um, this experience. I had. Uh, many years ago, received a letter um, from a colleague where he completely trashed my the work that I was doing and my reputation. And as a consequence of that, I mean, not only was it painful to read, uh, I, and I wasn't at that time in a position to do anything about it. I couldn't go out and justify myself or give my side of the story. Um, Lots of gossip went around, uh, lots of people, and this letter was copied all over the place. And uh, I had to try and cope with this. And shortly after this letter went, uh, I received this letter, I was told that my contract wasn't going to be renewed. And it was, you know, it wasn't perhaps such a long stretch to imagine that whatever, the criticism in the letter was linked to the fact that I wasn't having a renewed contract. Um, Well, eventually it it, it was, um, uh, my job was reinstated. And then, of course, I had to meet soon afterwards this uh, person who had written the letter at these meetings. And this was, I had to make a choice. I could say, okay, you hurt me and it's unjustified and at the very least i don't want anything more to do with you but i thought no i don't think that's what jesus wants me to do i need to go over i need to initiate reconciliation and i remember i walked over to him i can remember to this day he was uh, drinking orange juice Uh, and i you know i just put up my hand and smiled and greeted him um now It would be nice to think that that was the end of the story. (laughs) But, you know, underneath, I was very hurt. I had that letter. I uh, also had been told about my my job not being renewed, and I thought my injury deserves some sort of compensation, some financial compensation. So I uh, went to get legal advice, and I explained the whole situation. I said, do, do I have a case to go to court? And they said, yeah, we think we, you do. So then I had a tough decision to make. Um, I had been hurt. Um, I was entitled, it appeared, to financial compensation. Um, it's like, okay, no, I need to, I need to not do this. But I I still kept the letter and I put it in my file because one day I might need to pull out that letter uh, because uh, for whatever reason, I might need it. Um, About, I think, two, three years later, I was doing something in my filing system and uh, pulled out this letter. And then there was a real battle inside of me. Do I keep this letter or do I rip it up? And I ripped it up but it wasn't easy. It was, it was tough to physically tear the paper up and throw it in the bin so I couldn't recover it and reuse it. And, you know, when that's, through that process, God began to try to get me to understand what, what this idea is about, enduring injury with patience and without resentment. And again, it wasn't just about, okay, I've gotten over this, but without holding that grudge later on.
0: Sometimes that can take a while. It may not be instantaneous, but uh but God grows us sometimes quickly, sometimes takes a little bit longer, but by His grace we 'll be able to to grow into who He wants us to be
1: yeah, because you know what's what's being attacked here it's my ego it's the very heart of who I am, and i I want to protect my ego and my feelings and my honor and my reputation and, and I think because meekness is so difficult, you can't fake meekness, Uh, then it can become, I think, probably one of the greatest qualities that demonstrates the authenticity that Christ is doing something in the life.
0: This week, as we're looking at meekness, Sunday's lesson talks about being broken bread and poured out wine. What's the significance of those two things?
1: Yes, one of my heroes, I think I mentioned it uh, a few weeks ago, um, Oswald Chambers. He wrote this little book, a very small, pithy book, My Utmost for His Highest. I think it's the biggest-selling daily devotional in the world. And he has one point that he goes on and on about, and that's how to completely abandon ourselves to God. And there is a phrase that crops up in this little book, Um, a number of times, and he talks about this idea of becoming broken bread and poured out wine. And so he's linking this idea of there may come a time where I am going to become broken in order to serve others. And so that's always been a really Um, difficult idea to kind of chew on and and get to grips with because we don't want to be broken. We want to serve others with um, comfort and ease.
0: There are a lot of people in the world who are broken. In fact, I guess if we want to be completely honest about it, we're all broken to a greater or lesser extent. But in, in order to reach broken people, sometimes it doesn't hurt if we've had similar situations that God has helped to bring us through, that that we've experienced some of this this brokenness. Uh, There's the story of of Ezekiel and his wife uh, that you draw out in in Sunday's lesson. How does this fit into what we're talking about here with being broken bread and poured out wine?
1: Yes, well, uh, of course, there's a difference between being broken because of sin, but then God coming and doing a different type of breaking, which is also in one sense linked to sin and ego and, and all that sort of thing. But this story in Ezekiel 24 is a weird story. It, it's really strange. Um, it, it sounds like it shouldn't be in the Bible from at least where I read it. Um, Ezekiel 24, um, starting at verse 15, it begins to explain the story. Then this message came to me from the Lord, son of man. With one blow, I will take away your dearest treasure. It doesn't start out very promising. Yet you must not show any sorrow at her death. Do not weep. Let there be no tears. Drone silently, but let there be no wailing at her grave. Do not cover your head or take off your sandals. Do not perform the usual rituals of mourning or accept any food brought to you by consoling friends. So that, that's what God says. I'm going to, your wife is going to go, but don't mourn for her. And it's like, well, you know, why? But he continues in verse 18. So I proclaimed this to the people the next morning, and in the evening my wife died. The next morning I did everything I had been told to do. Now, if we kind of summarize this whole story, what God is doing, he's using Ezekiel's life as a parable. Ezekiel's life and even his relationships there are like the theater of God's grace. He's trying to communicate something um, to Israel, and he does it through Ezekiel's life. And so that Sort of brings out I mean there are lots of things we could talk about with this, but it brings out this sort of this key I- idea. Am I willing to be ready to offer God anything he asks in order to be of service for his kingdom? And that's a challenging question.
0: We we never know exactly what God may put his finger on, what he may require of us, what he may ask us to do, but ultimately if we if our if we are connected to him the way we ought to be, we ought to be willing doesn't always mean that it's easy, though, or that it comes naturally. Uh, there's a, a passage from uh, from Oswald Chambers that you that you quoted in here that I think is significant.
1: Yes. Well, um, yeah. this is the shocking bit that Chambers draws out about this. He says, "God can never make us wine if we object to the fingers He uses to crush us. If God would only use His own fingers and make me broken bread and poured out wine in a special way." But when he uses someone we dislike or some set of circumstances to which we said we would never submit and makes those the crushers we object, we must never choose the scene of our own martyrdom. If ever we are to be going to be made into wine, we will have to be crushed. You cannot drink grapes. Grapes become wine only when they have been squeezed.
0: That's profound, absolutely profound. We're going to come back and continue looking at this subject of meekness and how God desires to grow this quality in us that may not come naturally. But if you've been enjoying this week's lesson and want to dig deeper into it, I want to encourage you to pick up The Refiner's Fire by author Gavin Anthony, You can find it at the It Is Written website. That's itiswritten.shop. Again, the name of the book is The Refiner's Fire by Gavin Anthony. And you will find even more and deeper insights into this week's and the coming week's lessons. We're going to be back in just a moment as we continue looking at the subject of meekness. We'll be back in just a moment. What does the bible say about astrology why do bad things happen to good people
1: what color is jesus
2: if you have a question we'd love to find an answer for you from the bible line up online from it is written tv there's something i want to tell you about that is so important. It's My Place with Jesus. It is Written's ministry to children. Take the children you care about to myplacewithjesus.com. At My Place with Jesus, you'll find so much that will bless your children, or grandchildren, or great-grandchildren, or the children at church. There are the My Place with Jesus Bible Guides, 21 studies that will take the children you care about into the Word of God they'll learn the important things, especially the love of God and the sacrifice Jesus made for them. As well, take your children to Journey Through the Bible. It's there at myplacewithjesus.com. It's a special Bible reading program that will get children into the habit of reading their Bible daily and connecting with God regularly. So don't forget, myplacewithjesus.com from It Is Written.
0: Welcome back to Sabbath School, brought to you by It Is Written. We are taking a look this week at meekness, the significance of meekness. And we're coming to Monday's lesson now that talks about uh, interceding for grace. What does meekness have to do with this?
1: Well, okay, let's uh, look at this story here. Um, Moses is up on Mount Sinai getting the, the Ten Commandments and God's people down below are dancing around a calf. Uh, as a consequence of that, Moses comes down the mountain, he sees what's going on, and then God says this to him. This is in Exodus 32, verse 9. Then the Lord said, I have seen how stubborn and rebellious these people are. Now leave me alone so my fierce anger can blaze against them, and I will destroy them. Then I will make you, Moses, into a great nation. Now, if I was Moses, I would say, thank you, God. Um, I think that's a great idea. I mean, really, they, they are literally worshipping a a golden image similar to what was going back in Egypt. There doesn't seem to be any any type of transformation as far as what God's people are are doing in terms of worship and so on. And so God says, okay, let me destroy them, maybe a bit like the, uh, the flood, let's, let's wipe the slate clean, and I'll start with you. Now, we can look at that on all sorts of levels, but if we think about it from Moses' personal point of view, if God said that to me, my ego would be aroused, and I would say, excellent, great idea, uh, because I like to think I'm pretty good. And... And we would expect Moses to say, yes, th- th- these people, they are really... I mean, they really are terrible. Um, look at what they're doing. I think we do need to start again. But Moses is thinking in a completely different way, and I think this is where his meekness comes. Uh, and he, he he starts to say no, and, and he wants to intercede for, for Israel. Now, I think there are a couple of things to draw out in this. I mean, firstly... This is a test for Moses. And this is just between God and Moses. No one else knows what's going on. Uh, And what God is doing by testing him, and and we are now reading this, is illustrating how much compassion Moses had for disobedient people. Now, when I see people disobeying, I think, "Mm, you know, you should get something of what you deserve. I can still... Remember um, my first year of college, walking across campus, and I saw a girl um, doing, and, and she'd been doing stuff I knew was not right. And I thought, you know, this is not a, a good person. And uh, the verse came to mind, you know, Christ did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. And it was like what, my whole way of thinking about people was 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 fundamentally changed then. But it just shows that our natural response, but is not what Moses' natural response is. So we see here he has genuine concern for desperately disobedient people. This isn't just a one or two problems. Profound paganism, um, and he's pleading for people. And I think. Secondly, then, what we see is this desire of Moses to offer grace. Now, um, a couple of days ago I was listening to something um, and someone was describing um, the difference between justice, grace, and mercy. Um, Justice is you get what you deserve. So Israel, they deserved something. Uh, Mercy, you don't get what you deserve, Israel deserves some things because of Moses' intercession. They didn't want, they received mercy. And then grace is that you get what you don't deserve. And so I think here we have this, this picture of Moses through his intercession for people that I would have discarded quickly. Um, he's offering both grace and mercy. And that, I think, is an astonishing picture uh, because really he's representing Jesus and how Jesus behaves towards us.
0: Which is an amazing story. Like you said, if you and I were in Moses' shoes, sandals, as it were, we probably would have responded a little bit differently. But this is why Moses' life, in many ways, is is given as an example to us. And probably the the greatest example, of course, that is given to us, you just referenced him, and that's Jesus and how he interacted with people and how he dealt with challenges and, and, and so forth. On Wednesday's lesson, you delve into this this concept of of Jesus not not responding the way that we more than likely would have responded when he was being persecuted. Uh, it's called a, a closed mouth, just like a sheep before his shears. He opened not his mouth. How does that fit into what we're looking at today?
1: Yes, I, Isaiah fifty three. I mean, it's an astonishing. Uh, chapter, and but we're focusing just on this small bit about Jesus closing his mouth. But let's let's set the scene by reading a, a couple of these verses. Um, if we we look at verses five, six, and seven, but he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is signed before the shearers, he didn't open his mouth. And so here you've got this picture of Jesus. I mean, he is being... Oppressed and, and treated harshly for very you know different reasons, and he's being falsely accused. I mean, Satan was the prime accuser, uh, and then all the people that that Satan has brought together to attack Jesus. Uh, but Jesus is silent now if I was unjustly accused, I don't know how you would respond, I would want to say something. I would want to justify it, particularly if it is patently unjust and untrue. Let's set the record straight. Let's answer these lies. Now, perhaps there's many, many reasons we could think of why Jesus was silent, but one of them I was thinking about the other day, and this is really kind of interesting and a challenge. Satan is the father of lies. If Jesus had begun to engage with these lies and false accusations, he would have begun to debate with the devil. And if we go back to Eden, where we have the beginning of sin, and we see the terrible things that happen when you start interacting as Eve did with Satan's lies, you get sucked in. Um, for our egos, we get sucked in, and all sorts of reasons. Uh, and then we start engaging with him, and he leads us to some bad places. So, firstly, Jesus kept his mouth closed, closed, and because he didn't, he avoided engaging with these uh, what Satan was throwing in his face. And and secondly, and obviously related to that. He is he's silent because he's trusting his father. He doesn't need to answer and justify himself against all these accusations that are thrown at him. He trusts his father. And you know, when I read that story and then I think about me and, and all of us, everyone at home, all of us have experienced unjust accusations. Uh, but many times we would be best to follow Jesus' example. And keep our mouths closed, and God will justify us.
0: And that really leads us into Thursday's lesson. We want to defend ourselves. We, we, it's, it's something that's naturally built into us. We want to make sure we want to make sure that people get the right story, for lack of a better explanation.
1: Yes. Well, here, Psalm sixty-two, verse seven. Um, there was a, a time in my life where I was really struggling with my reputation. Uh, I wanted people to think good of me. I mean, that's kind of a basic thing. We all want that to happen. Um, uh, But I was being accused of all sorts of things, and I wanted to justify myself, uh, and I came across Psalm 62, and verse 7 really speaks to this challenge that we often find ourselves. Um, The psalmist says, My salvation and my honour depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Now, I know my salvation depends on God. That wasn't surprising. But it's when he says, "And my honour depends on God. What God thinks of me is what should be important to me. Yes, I mean, we do want to have good reputations, but often we can't do anything about it. We We can do what we believe to be the right thing, And then allow God to honor us. Uh, And that then gives me uh, potentially some peace because I don't have to be rushing around trying to do stuff. God can do that. I just need to be able to sometimes grip my teeth to begin with and then realize that there is a peace that comes when I allow God to defend my honor.
0: We may have some people who are watching, listening right now, who are going through, maybe their their characters being dragged through the dust. They've been accused of something that hasn't actually taken place. They're, they're going through the ringer. Do you have any words of encouragement, maybe a prayer that you could pray for them to give them encouragement?
1: Yes. Well, the challenge is for meekness. Um, are we willing? Do we have... Do we believe that God is present and is faithful enough to see us through these false accusations? This is something you will struggle with, I will continue to struggle with. And so as we pray, prayer is where we get our strength from. So let, let's, let's pray now. Father, grant us the meekness of Jesus when we're insulted or opposed Or crushed in circumstances we cannot control. Teach us to remain silent and allow you to be the judge. Allow you to honor us. Take away our desire for revenge, even when we feel justified by it. And replace those feelings with love, a divine love that shows through our actions. And may we intercede for those who do these things for their highest good that their lives and our lives together may glorify Jesus. In his name I pray, amen.
0: Evan, thank you once again for being with us this week. And thank you for being with us as well. We'll be back again next week with lesson number 11 as we continue to go through the crucible with Christ. God bless you and we'll see you then.